0: And welcome to Werder Bremen, a club in demise, a talking foosball mini-series. My name is Nick Wiltagen, and I'll be once again your host. And joining me for this therapy session among Werder fans is author of the ridiculously good read Werder Bremen, Populäre Getum und andere Wahrheiten, which translates roughly to Werder Bremen, Popular Misconceptions and Other Universal Truths. It's of course Florian Reinecke. Well, Flo, today is the day where we're going to talk about the relegation to the Bundesliga 2. How are you feeling?
1: Well, uh I, I think I handled it um, now so we uh record in the week leading up to uh the first um second Bundesliga game of Werder in over four decades. Yeah, and the squad is far from ready. So, uh, it's a disastrous off-season for Bremen yet again so far, <laughs> but I'm I'm still looking forward for that match uh against Hannover on Saturday. So, I'm not sure when this part is released, but might be that you all know how the season started.
0: It's probably released before the start of the season. Yeah. So, um, but you know, if you might know by the time you're listening to it. Anyways, uh, so to catch you up on what was going on on the last episode, last time we left you, I was in Stavanger. Now I'm outside of Stavanger at my cabin. The last time we left you, Frank Baumann had been installed at the new head of sports back in 2016. And Alexander Nuri had led the club to an amazing 8th place finish back in the 16-17 season. So things weren't alarmingly bad just yet. However, Nuri's magic wore off at the start of the next season and suddenly Werder needed a new coach. Once again, they turned inside and found None other than Florian Kofeld, which meant that Werder Bremen had pulled off the same move three times in a row. Whenever a coach was sacked, a coach from within the club came and took over. Did that move make any sense at the time?
1: Yeah, I definitely thought so. And I don't think you can equate Skripnik, Nuri, and Kofeld just because they coached the second team. So, out of principle, I'm not against it because they are three completely different coaches, and and Kofeld is definitely the most complete out of this trio i think would be my assessment and i was strongly in favor of this move especially because of the alternatives because most of the guys like they are uh, no names like like a a Labadia type of of coach and like i I wasn't seeing long-term success with coaches who were banging around the bundesliga for some time so I, i really Hope that Kofeld will be able to show that he is a great coaching talent. I mean, it seemed like it started uh, out very good with him, but then, like, unfortunately, he he lost his way along the road. But I mean, what was apparent from the start was how well he handled the media. Like his his press conference as he was installed was like that was really really great and wasn't easy for him because Frank Baumann like he 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 put his foot in his mouth (laughs) once again before that saying that, well, he isn't our first choice, basically. (laughs) But, like, they couldn't get the guys they wanted. So, uh, yeah, they have to make do with with Kofa, basically. But he handled that superbly. I I think he had a vision of how he wanted to play football in a much more attacking and active style than uh, under Nuri. And that was what we saw in the first matches under Kofeld that like they were trying to win games, and I, I for one, um, I really like the approach much better than just trying not to lose. Mm. Yeah, I, I, so I, I think a very promising start with with Kofield as a whole, and and like I said before, I like if they would have taken a fourth guy like uh, uh, from their second team, I, I don't think that means necessarily that it's a wrong move just because they try like the the coach they had a promoted before didn't work out three times in a row cuz I, I think you have to look at the coaches individually and i, I think it's like they're three totally different personas and, and coaches so yeah i don't think that was a mistake necessarily
0: yeah i mean it, it worked out with Thomas Shaw as well as we discussed on on the on the last episode um yes so um you know taking taking the coach from the second team is i th- I think in my book always a better move than taking the assistant because if the assistant is supposed to give you other impulses, well, why the hell was he the assistant of a guy he didn't believe in? I mean, that move has been tried and it has worked out a couple of times, but mostly it doesn't work out. I remember Hamburg SV having a spectacular bad time when they made uh, Michael Oernek head coach after, I think, was it Armin Weh?
1: Could be. And they had these other… Um, Rudolf
0: Esteban Cardoso, who had passed. At, yeah,
1: and another, I think, South American guy in there uh, from assistant uh, to head coach didn't work out, but like… It would be a long podcast if we would talk about all the coaches that didn't work out at Hamburg.
0: Oh, I, mean that, I don't think is, we can
1: take that detour, Nick.
0: That, that is for our, our next project for the next summer break. All coaches that didn't work out at Hamburg. The longest podcast ever recorded about German football. Yeah. Anyways, uh, but, you know, when coming back to Werder picking the second team coach time and time again, it, it goes to show that Werder is sort of a club with a true family feel to it, isn't it? The people who do work at the club have oftentimes been there for ages. You know, the guy who's the greenkeeper, the guy who are the announcers in the booth on on match days. Everybody has been around the Stadium for ages. So, even though, we, as we said, it might not, individually speaking, be a bad choice to take Nuri, Skripnik, and Kofeld after one another, because, as as you said, they're different coaches, all of them. But why is the club resisting outside influences at any cost over the last few years i mean that is probably one of the biggest criticisms i've heard in some of the media and you know if you just you know stand on the outside looking in it might seem like a valid criticism as well
1: yeah i agree that's a de- definitely a valid criticism especially or like on on some roles inside the club I mean, the the biggest example, and I know you, you, you would have led me that way, but I think it's, it's worth mentioning when we talk about why Bremen is such like this family feel and why that is a mistake in some parts, because they had a very good head of scouting department. His name was uh, Tim Steiten. You probably, or well, many of you probably haven't heard of him, but he was, at least partly responsible for transfers like Delaney, Augustinsson, Rashica, Pavlenka, Nabri, Claassen. So basically all the good transfers in recent times were done while he was there. Uh, and he did such a good uh, job for Bremen that he was snatched up by Leverkusen, where he is continuing to do a very good job and has some great talent, albeit with a much greater budget. But, if you think of players like like Diaby or uh, Tapsoba, especially, I think he came from the second French division to Leverkusen and he's really a great player. So a guy who's obviously really good at his job and the replacement for Steiton was Clemens Fritz. So he's a better legend, but I don't think he's a perfect fit for the job. Um, and if we look into Steiton's career a bit, it's also this Vada family theme, but with Titans with it's a bit different. Uh, he began his career as a chief scout for all Bremen youth teams. So he was scouting the local talent and decide who should go on playing in the academy and who should they sign for the youth teams and so on and did a good job. Then he uh, joined the data analysis crew of Bremen before he went on and became the leader of the scouting department. I think that was in 2016. So after Aichin left, uh, Steiten was the guy uh, responsible for the scouting department. So that's the background I want for this position. Not every role should be filled with X players in my opinion, because... He has this savvy, nerdy data background. Like, I want my chief scout to know what's going on in the second Belgian division. So that, like, for a club like Bremen, that could be pivotal, unearthing talent. Or the second French uh, division, I think, like, now the second French division is a very important league for many smaller Bundesliga clubs to scout and unearth talents because there's some raw talents you can find there and like this source of talents from non-Bundesliga leagues it basically dried up after Steiton left and that was a big problem because if you uh, buy players from inside the, the Bundesliga it's not only hard to get really players w- where you get a resale value which they totally lost out of their side, but you also have to pay more
0: yeah I mean that after Stein left there was sort of that change of philosophy hey we're going for established Bundesliga players hey let's go for Leonardo Bittencourt who's 26 years old and by the time his contract ends is 30 hey let's go for Omer Togbrok who already is 30 who's never going to be resold for 5 million euros hey let's go for Niklas Vilkrug, who has an injury list that is longer than you know James Joyce's combined works five times over. But hey, let's go and sign him nevertheless because Kofeld likes him. And, you know, getting these German established players into your team might be a good thing if you get a decent deal. If a club wants to get rid and wants to get rid on the cheap. But Dortmund weren't willing to give up Top Toprak on the cheap. They actually forced Bremen to include a must-buy clause in the contract. The same went for Bittencourt, Phil crew came at an enormous price which was sort of you know bauman sort of hoped that he was going to be able to you know generate some money from other transfers and then stop you know continue building his squad which didn't happen and at the end of the day you went out with you know two players who were really plagued by injury throughout their entire career who were really expensive and you lost you know that thing that stein brought to the club which was hey let's go look elsewhere maybe let's look at austria let's look at denmark let's look at you know players who are unhappy in the premier league all of those options besides the premier league option maybe are cheaper are probably better and more sustainable for verter bremen
1: yes yeah i i wholeheartedly agree although i like the Bittencourt transfer like to this day this is from all the bad business that Bremen has done in the last two years. This is still the transfer that baffles me the most because, like, they were really, they, they had issues in their squad. And the biggest hole, like, I, I don't know how long this is, uh, at least two years, the biggest hole was defensive midfield, basically ever since Thomas Delaney left. Like, there was no role description why they should sign Leonardo Bittencourt. There was really no need for a player of his profile and they went out and had this.
0: Oh, hang D- Didn't Kofel say that he needed a player who isn't able to play a pass in the last third and just goes for hopeless shots from like 30 <laughs> yards out every time he has the chance?
1: Yeah, I mean, probably. That'd, that'd... And if, like, if you. Playing uh, counter uh, w- w- where you go four against th- three is always the best to shoot from thirty yards out. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's, that's a bit yeah, cool playbook.
1: Every data guy will tell you that that's that's the thing to do. No, it's a, it, that's a horrible, horrible transfer. I can like I can tell myself a story where the transfer of top rack works out. You don't have a resale value, but. We saw that he's a great player when he was on the pitch. The problem was uh, his injuries. And with Füllkrug, the year before Bremen signed him, Hannover wouldn't let him go for 18 million euros to Gladbach. So Gladbach wanted to sign Füllkrug for 18 million. One year later, and one like totally destroyed knee later, <laughs> uh, Bremen signed him for half that money that Hannover didn't want to let him go the year before, and if you tell yourself the story, okay, like he he was around twenty million worth one year before Bremen signed him. If you only can like get past his injury proneness, it's a bargain. So I can see that being at least a valid story that I can see some merit in. Didn't work out that way. If it, you
0: have a decent medical department, they'll tell you not likely to happen. Well, the question if is you, how
1: how predictable are injuries? So I'm 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 no expert there, but I, I at least can see myself. So and you you saw that in the first year, like Firkruk started out hot before tearing his ACL. Mm. So if he would have stayed healthy that year, it probably would have been a at least decent transfer, uh, I think. But that was always a big question, Mark, and like the problem with football, like we, we're dealing with probabilities, so and in the end, like there's one outcome. So Forug got himself injured after four match days uh, after his transfers. But like the likelihood of that happen, no matter what like all the pessimistic Bremen fans will tell you, wasn't a hundred percent. Like, it wasn't 100% that he had to tear his ACL. And I can't tell you how like how high was the probability that he was playing 30 games in that season. Not sure. 10%, 20%, maybe. Maybe higher, maybe less. So we never know. But I think if you judge a, a transfer like that, you, you shouldn't just judge by the binary outcome. Because... Uh, like there's always a lot of luck or misfortune or uh, involved and stuff like that happening is at least so try to understand is there a valid thought process behind that and mm.
0: I, I I think my my criticism would be that you sign two players that are huge gambles in terms of injury who are supposed to be important parts of the team if you sign Phil Krook it doesn't work out and you sign a defender who doesn't have injury problems okay fair fine enough i mean you have to have at least fixed one yeah one problem that's here. a valid point but if you sign two pillars of the team and you know both of them are plagued by injuries and then you go on and sign leonardo bittencourt and you don't do something on the defensive midfield position yes
1: that's uh, that, that's the biggest problem so like sign toprak and Furku, but then don't sign bittencourt sign a defensive mid Feel that who's up to the task playing in the Bundesliga. There so, you go. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but I agree. Two two of these transfers probably was too much of a gamble. Um, but it was I I think with Toprak it was that Valkovic got himself a quite a serious injury uh, at the end of the transfer windows and Bremen had to do something. Mm. Uh, so I don't think that was something that was planned out wisely. He needed
0: somebody quickly. Yeah.
1: Like the Zelke transfer.
0: Mm. I mean Christian Gross got quite a few matches for Werder Bremen in the Bundesliga and he yes. was as a as a you know the captain for the second team. Be that as that may. Let's turn to Kofeld again because if we walk down the results he accomplished with Werder Bremen, in his first season he managed to turn around the mess that was left to him by Alexander Nuri's finishing eleventh. The following season, Werder missed out narrowly on a Europa League finish when they finished in eighth. I think that amount of points would have been enough to finish in the Europa League spot nine out of the last ten years or something? Yes. It was It was really a lot of points were gathering and not finishing in Europe. So what was right back then? What worked out for Kohfeldt and the team?
1: Yeah, I think the team was trusting Kohfeldt after having like the magic from Skripnik and Nuri uh, that, that wore off pretty quickly and I, I think the, the team sense that, like, these are not top-notch coaches. I, I think there was this feeling inside of the squad, not really believing in what the coaches tell. And I, I think that's, with a club like Bremen, to have success, they have to work as a unit. And, and that's not just the team, it's also coach and team that that, that has to be at, at least very good fit to play successful. And I think that was what we saw especially with how good Kofeld handled the media I, I think how uh, how good his his coaching on the sideline was like emotionally but not over the top like we saw later on uh, at Bremen at, at times where I think like some players maybe saw like we have a guy who's not like handling pressure well enough because he's just over the top on the sideline. And we weren't seeing that at the start of a Kofeld career uh, at Bremen. And like, we don't like, he had quality to start out. Like, as he took the job from Nuri, he had plays like Delaney, Yanuzovic, and especially Max Kruse, who who probably played his best in the uh, last uh, season under Kofeld. Really pivotal to the success. And I don't think that you can ignore, nor that it's a coincidence that all went sideways when Kruse left, and they were just not able to replace him in any uh, kind of way, and they also just ignored the gaping hole in defensive midfield again. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I think it was a combination of like they underperformed at the end under Nuri. They had some. Decent quality in, in their squad and they went wholeheartedly with what kofeld was telling them. And I think all these led to being pretty successful.
0: Yeah, I mean, Kohfeldt was actually awarded the Coach of the Year Award that season. They finished eighth. He drew some interest from both Gladbach and Dortmund during those uh, summer transfer windows. A lot of speculation back then. He was hailed as one of the, the hottest coaching talents. But once Werder Bremen has been able to show on decent coaches and use them in the Bundesliga what really has been a weaker side of the club over the last decade or so has been the output of young talent and now we talked about this Uh, Werder Bremen financially speaking isn't among the big boys of the league anymore and when you look at teams that are further down the table financially speaking who do well Freiburg, Mainz. What do they do? They pour out talent. Now, that's been lacking at Verta What's been going on with the Youth Academy over the last decade? Why is Verta not being able to put out talents anymore like they used to do back in the day?
1: Well, the, the Youth Academy is a bit aged in Bremen and there are plans for a newer and bigger uh, academy for quite some time, but it's put on hold. Um, because of the dire financial situation, there are also some legal issues because it's in a flooding area and uh, it has to need certain security aspects. And I mean, we've seen that we we talk uh, the week after the we had great floodings in Germany with a lot of people losing their lives, unfortunately. So it's definitely problematic because they want to set it up in a, in a flooding area and. Like We've seen now that maybe that's not the best idea, but for now it's not possible for them to go forward with these plans because they don't have the money uh, to do uh, to do them. But I think there are still some at least decent prospects, but Werder is doing a poor job promoting them. So if you have a, a homegrown player out of your academy who you feel can be a Bundesliga player in the future, you, you have to promote him and try to get the best out of a player and uh, I think the best example of that is not happening uh, at Bremen is Jojo Eggestein Mm. because he's a player with obvious talent but he was never really giving a shot playing in a position that that suits him and I mean he played in the Austrian Bundesliga uh, last season and uh, in all competitions scored 20 goals for Lask. I think he scored against Tottenham uh in the Europa League. So he, he had a really good season. He's like he has a knack for situations. He's he's a really good finisher, but they can't find a really good position for him. And it's like it's driving me crazy.
0: It's sort of like Nicholas Villkrug is in the way of him. And then you have Josh Sargent, who may or may not be leaving at this point. Obviously some interest
1: Yeah, but Anfang says he's not a like he's not a true number nine, which which might be true, but like find a way to include your most talented guys in your squad. It's
0: sort of like I I really hate that word concept coach, which is sort of like a German word, but that's sort of like a coach who has a clear cut concept and who doesn't deviate from that concept but think about it even Pep Guardiola when he came to Bayern saw that Iron Robin and Ribéry were such threats on the wing that he needed to include wing play in his tactical setup and you know <laughs> Pep Guardiola wasn't really big on wing play when he was coaching Barcelona but he saw the potential in the players he had at his hands he knew that he needed to use that when you have a player like Julio Eggestein you need to see the potential that you have on your hands and you need to bloody use it and to say well he doesn't fit into my concept that really doesn't make a good coach in my book I'm sorry
1: I agree 100%. And that's just one example. Uh, I mean, one player in the squad is Luka He He's playing the Olympics with the Germany squad. It's said that he's one of the brightest goalkeeper talents in Germany. I'm like, I haven't seen enough of him to be the judge of that. But I remember like when he was 18, I'm not sure who did it. Like one one coach gave an interview where he said like, if Luca Plotman isn't a bundesliga keeper in four years from now like something had to have terribly gone wrong for that i mean he had a few injuries but still
0: acl turned when he was on loan there last season
1: he's keeper number four in bremen with pavlenka capino and etc also being there Mm. like he's swamped under and like he's being called up for the olympics like it shows like he is a great talent but Like, he doesn't get it. Like, they they should have had more courage in playing their guys if they are really talented. And I don't see that happening. And a guy I was impressed uh, in preseason this year is Aaron Dingshi. And I think it's really unfortunate that he got a minor injury missed the last two preseason games um, because I think he would have had a shot to start at the season opener. But all in all, you're right there's a lot of quantity in academy players in the club so Maximilian Eggestein is is probably the most prominent and that's why like all the stats where you can see how many minutes do academy players get in the first team Bremen does look very good because of a guy like Maximilian Eggestein playing every minute and uh, in the past you had uh, Philipp Backfried also having many minutes so you got few players that got many minutes and I, I just read a stat today that there are 12 academy players in the current squad, which is the most of every second division club. But most of them are, are not really in the running for a regular playing time. So
0: It's sort of like when you want to loan out half of them, like Tori Jakobsen, yes. who now is out for yeah. the rest of most, most of the season because he got an ACL tear. Yeah. You want to loan them out because you have that idea. Well, if we loan out talents and develop them at other clubs, we might, you know, it might come back to, you know, be good for us, pay, you know, get a payoff. And as we discussed on the last episode, the only guy who's managed to, you know, make his way into the Werder team after Thomas Eiching cooked up the idea almost a decade ago is John Manuel Baum. And you know, for decades. what
1: Manu Schmid, you can make an argument for Schmid as well. well, but he isn't an academy player, so he was bought, and then uh, straight after he was loaned out for uh, one and a half years.
0: So two players and during one decade. Yeah. That is a bloody awful return, and you know, as it does cost money to develop talents. This is probably one of the more more money wasting ways of doing so. You probably could develop more talent using less resources in another fashion, if you ask me. But hey, if Verda insists on doing it that way.
1: Yeah, I just think you should like you should decide two to three talents who you think have like they are able to play at the highest level and then go with them. So why why don't loan out the He should have like he should have got Bundesliga. I Minutes mean, way way earlier in his career. Every time I saw him at a like a preseason match, he he looked good. You could see what he can do. Like physical, he wasn't maybe he wasn't up to the task. Maybe in 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 practice, you you don't always see. But like there are certain situations where you just can see there's something different uh, about him than with many other players, and like. Sometimes you have to trust him I, like I I always like I'm in the opinion if you like uh would judge Ailton after his performances in practice sessions he probably wouldn't have had many Bundesliga games is
0: there certain <laughs> players you'd probably say Tony that the McDonald's over the road they have a they have a company team yeah. why don't you go and join them
1: yeah free food and and that's i think is a, is is a big problem and i hope that maybe I mean we talked about that that Anfang has his idea how he wants to play. which really like you 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 couldn't be more off of what the qualities in the Bremen squad are and what Markus Anfang wants to do. Like it's really like he likes to play in a four three three or a four two three one with attacking wingers. And you don't have any wingers in the squad after Rashid's left, and it's still the way they want to play. And it's definitely a chance for Aaron Dingshi because he at least possesses the pace to play on the wing. He's a central striker, but he like I saw some good preseason games of him on the wing, so maybe that's a chance for him. But as a whole, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that what they're lacking is like this clear plan. These two, three guys, they got the build of a Bundesliga player. We promote them. Maybe it hurts us in one or two games, but I'm not sure it it really does. I mean, it's not like the other guys who played did a great job all of the time. So then why not play your own own talents? But it's, it's definitely a problem that that didn't happen. And the old academy, maybe that's the reason why they don't get to have the brightest talents cuz it's like it's a nationwide race to get the brightest talents they're coming from all over germany to the academies of the bundesliga clubs and and bremen like they don't have much to show for right now if they're showing them um the, the logistics and and everything is like they they can go to like 20 other clubs in germany that have a a better suited use academy and in, in, in terms of comfort and everything else so yeah
0: all right on on that bleak note we'll uh, we'll take a little break and afterwards we'll talk about the year everything well whether but the shit hit the fan so stay tuned for that The eighth place finished during Korfeld's first full season in charge at the club. The club went out in public and said they wanted to go back to Europe. Yep, that was the start of the 1920 season. A lot has happened since, as we all know, and very little of it has been good. We've already discussed Tim Stein leaving for Leverkusen. We've discussed that change in philosophy from signing exciting players from abroad and instead bringing in established Bundesliga players like Leonardo Bittencourt and over Toprak. And all of it really staggeringly, truly backfired, didn't it?
1: Yes. But like I said before, not necessarily because of the shifting in targets. I, I, I still think it wasn't a good idea. But like the biggest problem was like who were these targets of their transfers and in which part uh, Bremen didn't sign anyone. And I think the blame here has to go to Kofeld as well because he didn't seem uh, to think it's necessary to sign a defensive-minded midfielder. He was content with Shine and Backfrieder being the only ones available. He said so before that campaign. And uh, Backfrieder's body, unfortunately, wasn't up to the task. And that was like even like his... Injury history, like if if he compares this with Fulcrum, like uh, Backfritis is even longer, I, I think. And Shine was way past his prime, and I, I think it was obvious the season before that he can't handle the role as the number six on Bundesliga level anymore, uh, especially not if like there's no one there to help him who who brings this athletic profile. And I think that's like for some reason like Kofeld doesn't seem to rate athleticism and especially speed very highly and if you look like at most of the clubs who do well in the bundesliga like what what do they all have in common they have a lot of really really fast players and
0: and bremen I mean, the Bundesliga is a, is a counter pressing league. Yes. Game pressing. It's always getting pressing, gang pressing, gang pressing. So you need to be able to do a lot of running and you need to be able to do it quickly. If you don't do that, you're found out quickly.
1: Yes. And especially like afterwards, like when he implemented this counter attacking style of football, like it's not good if you get a good counter situation, but like the defense catches you, although you had a head start, but you like you're not able to run away from any defense. That's also uh, one part of the problem. So for some reason, like Kofeld in his mind, I think he likes a beautiful game, possession style. Who, who he likes players who are good with the ball at their feet, and he wasn't minding too much like pace, and and that was a big problem, especially in midfield. And that, as a whole, was one reason why it uh, all backfired, although you, you have to say that there was a, a unpre- really unprecedented wave of injuries during that season. And that's also a big part of why uh, Bremen hit the trouble. And the third reason, in my opinion, is just like Kofeld really went uh, to a cul-de-sac and didn't turn around anymore, changing his whole philosophy of, of football. And uh, I don't think that he's a a good coach when he tries to set up a defensive-minded team. I I just not think that it's his forte. Mm. And I I see coaches like Urs Fischer for New Berlin in his first Bundesliga year, like they're doing clever defensive strategies and have done the Umschaltmomente when they get possession uh, of the ball and then they really play quick and and that wasn't happening at Bremen like at any time. I didn't have the feeling that it like anything is well sought out. It's just like we defend with eleven guys and we have no clue how to score goals.
0: Rashi, you, you run. You're the quick one. Rocket man. Yeah, I mean that there was never the the um whenever you were watching Britain, both that season and last season you you never really expected sort of a getting a counterattack that was sort of like as you described the the flick of a switch yes kind of moment where where everything sort of blew up at, at in a second or two uh, it really never happened. So with all of that in mind, what were the lessons that Verda should have learned of the 1920 season? We already talked about Get a defensive midfielder for crying out loud, get a defensive midfielder, Frank Baumann, and Florian Kofold and Bittenko, but were there any other sort of lessons that the team or the club should have learned which it didn't?
1: Well <laughs> I think that the, the problem was that like the damage had been done. They were so like they were so hampered by all the transfers that didn't work out where they had a loan with a must buy clause. So we talk about last season. Before last season, Bremen couldn't do anything, which is technically isn't right because they had to buy Bittencourt and Toprak for, I think, around 11 million euros. And that's basically all the budget or more. It's more of the budget. So they they were totally hampered by bad decisions they, they did before. They still weren't like really trying to find the defensive midfielder they needed so desperately. Uh, they did sign uh, Patrick Eras uh, from Nuremberg for that position, but he wasn't even a regular starter for Nuremberg in the second division, and he was nowhere near Bundesliga level. Uh, already gone, he went to Kiel uh, this summer. But like transfer-wise, it was definitely tough. But they they would maybe been able to get a player like Niklas Dorsch on the cheap or uh, other options they could loan out for a year at least, but they they didn't didn't try that. And they already had that Davies Elker uh, move. Mm. They had a, a must buy clause if they would have stayed in the Bundesliga for more <sighs> than ten million. For, for Davies Elka. So like transfer wise it was hard for them to learn that lesson. Still think they should have done a much better job. And if you can't buy a player, like they didn't address the whole in defensive midfield and that's unforgivable.
0: Chong was the uh Tahit Chong was the big yeah. player they signed. The guy who was supposed to replace Milod so who wasn't Dan sold yeah. when Arby Leipzig came in and offered 18 million euros. Uh, instead they sold him to norwich this season for less so a tie chong then went to back to Manchester united and was loaned out once again halfway through the season because yeah. he didn't work but, but he, he didn't really work out at but no
1: he didn't work out but he wasn't the issue and he was cheap so i, I like i'm 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 not uh rambling on about chong it what, I, what I think was
0: taking in that regard yes
1: yeah, i think a lesson that they should have learned um, transfer wise maybe they did learn a bit but they weren't able to act on it just because they, they didn't have any room to maneuver because of the bad decisions before but they were not trying to change the style of play and that was the biggest issue in, in my opinion Kofod should have gone back to his active and attack more active and attacking style of football but they didn't even try and if we remember at the start of the 1920 season, Bremen didn't play bad football. Mm. For times they have ridiculous bad results and all the expected goals models were saying that they should do much better and just weren't. And there was a stretch where they, I think, drew five times in a row, which led to them like not losing but also not gaining points. Mm. And then they started, after not having the results, they started to play bad as well. And that was how they spiraled down. But they should have gone back to that. Mm. Um, I, for one, thought, okay, you kept Kofeld I would have sacked him the season before. But if you like... And then I had to, okay, you stick with him, but Kofeld will learn from that. He's smart enough. That was my opinion. So I was, after the season, I was for actually holding on to Kofeld. Because I thought I it wouldn't wouldn't have made any sense to stick with him while you were eaten alive in the Bundesliga almost got relegated. And then after the season, after you miraculously stay up, then to sack him, that wouldn't have made any sense. So the, the decision was, we, we think Kofeld has the qualities. And I must have thought so and can learn from that and be a better coach because of the experiences he made. But that definitely didn't happen. Mm. Uh, I, I, and I think like it all got worse week after week. And like I couldn't hear, like Kofeld's talk to the media was always like one of his strongest suit, but it was getting worse and worse. You couldn't hear the phrases he used all the time. And he <laughs> was saying, it's not like, it's not what happened. I saw the game. Like, what were you talking about? It was all this whitewashing from everything that happened there. And uh, yeah, I think that was a big problem. I still think highly of Kofel as a person. I think his his loyalty is out of the question. Uh, you talked about how he um, there were talks of him at Gladbach uh, or Dortmund after uh, he got coach of the year. Well, like he went out and said, no, I signed this contract. I'm not like, I'm not the one who will fold uh, on this contract. As long as Bremer wants me, I'm going to stay here. That's what he said. It never really was put to the test, but I for one believe that that's really what he would have done. But that doesn't change that. Like he, um, wasn't a good coach, uh, last season.
0: Well, um, but from what I understand, you sort of disagree with Klaus Filbury who uh, after the season said that, well, we managed to get 30 points by sitting back. I mean, the, the first 30 points Verder gathered until match day 24 were basically attacking football. No, not, not, not happening with us. You know, we're just building a wall and we're, we're trying to get snatch a goal or two on a counter attack. And that is it. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're Augsburg or Bayern, that's our tactical setup. You deal with it. And after that game against Bielefeld, Werder Bremen won 2-0, or was it 2-1? 2-0, Which was, yeah. really one, yeah. was really one of the luckiest wins all season long. Yeah. Because Bielefeld had the better of the game, should have won it, should have scored more than two or three goals. Kofeld mm. said to the press, well, now we're sitting pretty in the table. Now we're going back to playing our pretty football again because the international break is coming up and, you know, we're going to implement some things on the pitch that are looking more attacking-minded. And Klaus filbury then said, well, that is where we made the mistake last season. We should have stayed with our, you know, defensive-minded tactics, frustrating opponents, and just trying to see out matches getting the draws. And well, the last ten matches produced one point from Werder Bremen in the 24 matches prior to that, they got 30.
1: Yeah, but it wasn't that they got just one point because they were trying to play attacking football. Uh, Koffer said that after the Bielefeld game, but he said similar things often before at times at the season that, of course, they want to uh, like play a more attractive football and he likes to play attacking football. And like in, in my mind, it's not like they try to change the approach. What you can't ignore is that Bremen's schedule last season was always set up to be easy at the start and tough at the end. And we saw that uh, in the first part of the season. It's also that they got much more points at the start of the season than in the second part of the first legs of the season. And we saw that in, in the second part as well. Like all the top clubs were coming. But it's also is like the strategy didn't change. You mentioned the Bielefeld games. There were a lot of games where Bremen really um, were lucky winning, and that luck ran out, in my opinion. I mean, they had two dodgy video assistant decisions that did hurt them a lot when they played at Cologne. Could have been a win, but should have uh, been a win. <laughs> should have been a win. Yeah, a goal that shouldn't have stand got ruled a goal, and vice versa against Mainz. -hmm. When Fulkrook scored the equalizer, should have been a goal, but was ruled out by the video assistant. But as a club, you should overcome that, especially if you're 11 points up. But I, I think it's like Fulbrich, like, I, I think he's really bad at what he's doing and he shouldn't talk about uh, the sporting style of things. And it's like his description is putting the blame on a guy who isn't there anymore. I mean, Kofeld did the same thing after the Augsburg game. He put all the blame to Christian Gross, who got that yellow red card, which was so stupid. I really, like, I, I couldn't. I, I was out of my mind for 15 minutes after that because it was so obvious what Augsburg was trying to accomplish after getting Ruben Vargas sent off pretty early. They just wanted Bremen to be on, uh, with 10 men as well. And Christian Gross... Like, delivered on that. That was like the most stupid thing. But, like, as a coach, you've got a responsibility. You talked about how Gross was uh, planned playing in the, in the second team. Like, there's a reason he didn't have a Bundesliga game before he got like 29 or 30 years old. I, li- I like him as a guy. I think he's a useful player, but like, protect him in, in such a position where it's like the, a pretty important match. He's the only one with a yellow, like, Get him off! Take him off! Take <sighs> him off! It's like the easiest thing you, uh, you can do. But afterwards, Koffel laid the blame on Gross, and so Fibry is not alone in that. But like this description, look at the game that Bremer played. It's like it's ridiculous to say that that they were they were trying to play so attacking football that they lost their way. is 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 It's just not true. Is really not what happened. Mm. It was a combination of like good fortune turned to bad fortune. And in, in like they had some key games, but like they had a brutal schedule as well. And and you could argue that, and no matter what, like uh, playing against Dortmund, Leipzig, Bayern. Leverkusen, Dortmund, um, they're playing all these clubs uh, during that time. That was tough sledding and then like the pressure on the the matches they really had just like the home match against Mainz the way match at Augsburg and the like the pressure on these two games were enormous just because of the schedule and the other teams winning I mean that's the second part of it like Cologne had a game against uh, Leipzig which was ridiculous that they won it but they did win at home against Leipzig and like other teams were getting points at matches where you didn't expect Bremen, like, they lost, apart from the Leverkusen game, they lost all games uh, you saw they would lose against the top opposition. Top teams, yeah. And then there were not that many games left where you saw beforehand, yeah, that's the opportunity to get points. Mm. I'm just looking at the schedule right now. So there was a away game at Stuttgart where you think, okay, you can get something out of it.
0: Unfortunately, Augustinsson yeah. scores an unfortunate own goal.
1: Yeah, then there's a home game against Mainz, and then it's really away against Union. It's the easiest fixture, apart from the away game at Augsburg, which was on the 33rd match day. So, from these, uh, what we got 11 games. It was like four games against clubs where you say uh, like two where you say that's basically a must win against Augsburg and Mainz. You got Two against Union and Stuttgart, where you think, yeah, maybe we can get something out of it. Although, like, both clubs were having good seasons. And then you had all the top teams, and that was the schedule. So it was always that you thought you need... So after the uh, Bielefeld game, I felt good, but you, you felt before that you need some points Ahead of the other clubs, just because of pr- how brutal the, the schedule will get for Bremen. And that was something that was obvious, mm. just because of how like, it was set up.
0: All right. Um. If we quickly summarize, why did Werder Bremen go down in the end? Uh, after three episodes of, you know, talking back and forth about how the club has developed over the last... Yes, let me start with a few points and uh, let me see what, what you add in the end. I think what's been clear that ever since the club crashed out of the Champions League they were not acting quickly enough in getting rid of Thomas Schaaf and re-establishing a new philosophy. Mm-hmm. Then they sort of wiggled about with Ayen and Frank Baumann and never really found the right man for that job and still haven't done so after Klaus Alovs left. Then there's the part of the last couple of seasons where you've seen that change of transfer philosophy that really hasn't helped the club. Additionally, you would have to say that the output of young talent hasn't really been prioritized and should have been a priority over the last 10 years. And it's been done in ways that not necessarily have been the most helpful for the club. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, and and then I think we have to include the like what happened injury wise, and that's a combination of bad man management skills and load management uh, on an individual level, but it's also signing players that are prone to injuries because you got a feeling that they are cheap because or cheaper than they would without their injury history, but like that that reason is merited in a way, and all the gambles they took, like all of them failed. I mean, you 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 saw a guy like Toprak. Like at times last season, he looked like one of the best defenders in the Bundesliga. But like, it's not helping you if like he can show that in seven games and in a season uh, is hampered by injuries and not playing to a hundred percent and um, missing games left, right, center. And with Hücke, we saw that. Like, I think he's not the same player anymore, even if he's healthy. Uh, like he, all the all the injuries took a toll. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, a big Furkru fan when he came back to to Bremen, and yeah, liked him as a player. But I, I just think like same with Backfrieder, uh, uh, he used to come back and play at a very high level, basically instantly. But. Uh, at one point, it was just one injury too many.
0: Always scoring against Hoffenheim. Yeah. Always scoring against Hoffenheim. Philip Park, But yeah, I mean, both of these guys, their bodies have been <laughs> they've been to war. And yeah. at some point, those war wounds cannot be repaired yeah. and, at an uh, adequate level anymore.
1: And I would add, just like, as a club, not having a courageous enough strategy, and not having a coherent strategy, that's what like, that's what we want to do. We need these kind of players to succeed. So, we look exactly uh, what kind of players fits our profile and not like go out and see where's the possibility to sign a player who has a pretty big name, but not necessarily fits in our plans. And yeah, I still see kind of that happening right now with uh, having no wingers, but playing a winger centric system
0: we'll talk about that but, next episode
1: yeah sorry <laughs> nick I, I just it's it, it what what keeps me up at night right now but <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and of course like it's always if you go down as a club like Vada bremen who has more ambitions is also some bad luck involved i i think you can't deny that but it's not like saying that it was fully merited that they got down don't get me wrong but like Cologne could have gone down wrong uh, could have uh, gone down quite as easily Cologne deserved yet. it too
0: they, come on let, let let's be honest the city you live in they deserve to go down too come on yeah there were Cologne a few clubs that desired. I think Augsburg season even, long
1: like Maybe would have deserved to go down as well, but like that, like they played horrible football. They were so got...
0: lucky with so many of their goals, like Michael yeah. Lom putting the goal, yeah. the ball into his own net and stuff like that. All season long, I think Axeberg were really the luckiest of all teams in terms of goal creation. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think uh, you, you you don't have to point to any other team saying they deserved it more. I think, yes, Bert Bremen deserved to go down. No. Uh,
1: yes but it's also it's a lottery could have gone a different way Mm. Uh, I think it's true but like I wasn't I would have been shocked two years ago about relegation maybe but I felt last year I felt okay but like if they stay up they go down next year and if they don't go down next year they go down the year after that so I would have had that feeling that probably Hamburg supporters had at one point point mm. when they always were at the bottom and I got the feeling with Bremen because I, I didn't feel like there was some purpose or unifying goal um, in w- which the club was run by and you could sing uh, turn things around and they like the whole they dug themselves with all these must-buy clauses they agreed upon before Corona no fans in the stadium, no money from that. that, that hurt them so much, much more if they like, hadn't done these signings to pay on later. So that was really the worst timing they, they could have and hampered the, totally hampered the club.
0: Well, at least relegation saved us from seeing David Zulke in a vote of for one more year. So, yeah, but
1: he's on fire in preseason for Hata. He tends to be, he
0: he tends to be, he tends to be on fire preseason. When the season rolls around, maybe not so much. We'll see about that. So, it's done. We finally talked about. Well, this relegation, second ever relegation to, from the Bundesliga to the Bundesliga two, and man, this was a painful episode to record. Even though it was rather painful for us, we hope that you, dear listener, enjoyed it. Flo, always great talking to you. Please tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work.
1: Oh, you can you can find me on Twitter uh, via the Talking Football account, and there I'm linked because I think it's not so easy to spell for non. Uh, German uh, speakers so uh, y- you can find me there and apart from that I'm, I'm working for the Bundesliga I'm doing a lot of Olympics um, I'm, I'm, I'm psyched up I'm starting on Thursday with the opening game from Germany against Brazil so uh, yeah do some commentary uh, there so it's, it's going to be fun good uh, stuff yeah and of course, uh, weekly uh, talking football fantasy podcast. Uh, yeah,
0: looking forward yeah. to that for, for that to return. Uh, you can find me, Nick Lottig, on Twitter at normusings. Find the podcasts and in you know flow as well over there at Talking Foosball. If you have the time and you don't mind, give us a favorable rating on iTunes. Tell your friends about the podcast. We would really appreciate that. We'll be back very soon with the last episode of our mini series, Better Bremen, Club and the Mice. Until then, it is goodbye for now.